But the Christian life, if you study it, seriously, the Christian life is crazy with some of the teachings in Scripture. You ever notice that? The Christian life can be really, really crazy. Jesus makes the statement, if you really want to live, you, you got to die. And we read stuff like that and we go, really? He's like, yeah, you've got to be willing to take up your cross daily. You've got to be willing to denounce yourself if you're going to embrace me. It's, it's crazy. He, uh, he makes the statement that giving is a lot better than getting. Uh, learning to have an attitude of uh, giving your life away and whatever you have is better than receiving anything. You go, really? Yeah. He says, serving others is better than being served by others. He says, uh, you realize I came to serve and give my life away as a ransom, right? I didn't come to be served. And so we live in this pecking order. We think if we've arrived, we can have other people that work for us. And he goes, that's not the way it works. Jesus makes this statement to a dude that had a lot of money and a lot of stuff. He says, if you really want to hang with me and follow me, sell everything you've got. You're like, sell everything I've got. And what he's saying is, don't have any competing influences that would disrupt your relationship and walk with me. He, he made the statement one time where he says, you've got to be willing to hate your mom and dad. I'm like, really? Yeah, if your mom and dad are still trying to control you and you're consumed by your mom and dad and it's hindering your allegiance, you've got to be willing to leave that to follow me. And when you study the pages of Scripture, Stay with me. When you study the pages of Scripture, Jesus continues to call us to total commitment and radical surrender. We talked last week about being converted, but that's not where we stay. Conversion is where we kind of walk into the door to enter the room, but but there's so much more. And I want to talk about commitment today. Now, I'm going to stay in Acts 2 for the most part. And if you've got your Bible or... Again, your handout, open it up. And in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, now, Jesus has been crucified, buried, and resurrected from the dead. He's been raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, and these guys are ghosted. Now, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the presence and power of God. Peter goes out and begins to proclaim the good news of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus, what Christ and the gospel was about. And a lot of people looked and they're like, dude, you're drunk. And he's like, no, time out. It's nine o'clock in the morning. I'm not hammered, but I really am like flooded with the Holy Spirit being in my life right now. So part of Peter's first message of proclamation to the people after the Holy Spirit falls As he said to them, repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter comes out and preaches, repent, which means you've got to be converted. You've got to change your source of where you're trying to find your love and worth and security and significance. He comes right out and says, y'all need to repent. Who's he talking to? He's talking to a lot of the Jews who had been involved in temple under rabbinical teaching. People had pledged their kind of life and allegiance to the law. And he's looking, saying, repent. You've got to come to Jesus. You've got to know Jesus. He is Messiah. He is Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the anointed one. Repent. And then he says, 
Be baptized. The first step of obedience for a person who responds to the gospel is baptism. Jesse had a chance last night to to share with a guy that he's been loving on for years. And the kid prays to receive Christ. He repents. And I said, when do you want to be baptized? And he said, right now. He said, if you fill the tub up with water, let's do it now. I said, we'll do it tomorrow. He's like, all right, we'll do it tomorrow. But when he had placed his faith in Jesus, I've repented. What's the next thing he says do? Be baptized. Make a public declaration that you're dying to yourself. You're being buried with Christ. You're being raised to walk in a new life. I want to be baptized now. Yes, that's good. Because people who say that they want to know Christ, but they don't want to be baptized, the first step of obedience is a public declaration of identification with the king. So Peter comes and says, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to obey God. Just receive this gift. And with many other words, he solemnly testified saying, be saved from this perverse generation. It is a perverted generation. There's all this perverse activity going on. You need to be saved. You need to be delivered from this. And it says that those who had received his word were baptized and they were added about 3,000 souls that day. So, So last week we talked about conversion. Peter starts his message by saying, you've got to be converted. Convert means to change from one form into another. He goes, I've got to change you. And God wants to change each and every one of us. And so Peter comes out and says, you've got to experience it. But here's what I want you to hear. True, authentic, biblical conversion will lead to commitment. True, authentic, biblical conversion based on placing your faith and trust in Jesus only, will lead to commitment. St. Augustine said this. He said, Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. This is a Catholic dude that got the gospel. St. Augustine said, Christ is not valued at all unless you value him above all. Which causes us to have to ask ourselves the question, What do I value? What do I value the most in my life? What what do I pursue? What defines me? Where do I find worth? Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. So ask yourself the question, what do you value? Because you are committed to what you value. So as I talk about commitment today, every person in this room is committed to something. You have to ask yourself the question, what is it? So what does God value for us? What does God value if we've repented, unplugged from the less wild lovers, placed our faith in Jesus? What does God value? He says in Romans 8, 29, to those that he foreknew, he also predestined them to become conformed to the likeness of Jesus. He wants to conform us into the image of Jesus. What does God value? Once we experience conversion, he goes, I value conforming you to look like my son. The word conform in the Greek is the word symorphous, which means to shape and change the form to that of another. 
So when you start to think of God wants to conform me, he wants to symorphose me, he wants to reshape me. And so an unchanged life represents an unsaved life because true salvation is going to lead to this symorphous work of God. Is God reshaping you? What are you being conformed to today? What does your life reflect today? When people squeeze you, what leaks out of you today? Symorphous. And God is saying, I want to symorphous every person that repents and places their confidence and trust in me. I want to mold you and conform you to look like a little Jesus to the world. You're like, that's what he wants to do? That's what he wants to do with all of us. Paul would even say this in Galatians 4. He goes, I feel as if I'm in labor. I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is formed and fully developed in you. Now, I've never gone through labor pains. But my wife, after having five kids, I saw her go through labor pains. And that was a lot of painful stuff to watch. Now, I've heard God say, well, having a kidney stone is like having a baby and, and the women want to fight. Right? You've heard that. I've seen that labor pain. But I, I, I don't know which is more painful, a kidney stone or uh, having a baby. I mean, I've seen girls have a baby and want to have another baby. I've never seen a guy have a kidney stone. Okay. But what Paul is saying is, I've got this aching deep inside my spiritual womb that when I look at you, all I want to see is Christ fully formed in you. I want to see Christ shaping you. I want you to know that you know that Jesus is enough, period. And that's what Paul is saying as he writes to these believers in Galatia. I want you to know that you really do know that he's enough for you, period. That you don't need all this other competing stuff going on in your life. See, see, when that starts to happen, I believe we enter into deeper symorphous, where he's like, now I'm starting to reshape you. Now, being reshaped and conformed, I believe, drives us to having a spiritual growth plan. Now, when you start to think about a spiritual growth plan, Rick and I, our student ministry leader, he's like a lot of people probably sit there going, why should I have a spiritual growth plan? I'm going to get to that. But a spiritual growth plan, four simple things, a spiritual growth plan is intentional. You don't grow through osmosis. You don't go through this uh, spiritual growth in your life just by being around others. It's, a, it's intentional. It's a day-by-day, step-by-step, grinded-out-with-a-king approach. It's intentional. I've got bad news for you. 80 minutes on Sunday morning is not a spiritual growth plan. The 10,080 minutes that we get in a week, if the only time we're hanging out in a God-style context is those 80 minutes, you don't have a spiritual growth plan. You, you've just got some, something on your schedule that you're hanging out in for 80 minutes a week. So a spiritual growth plan, as we unpackage it, 
It's intentional. It's not automatic. It's not instant. You're not going to be spiritually mature in 30 minutes. It's a grind. It's a struggle. It's staying with the Lord every day. It's, It's wrestling with the things of God. Second thing is, it's personal. When you start to really embrace the Lordship of Jesus, there's not a one size that fits all. Your gifts, abilities, and passions are different than the person next to you, behind you, whatever. So when you start to develop the spiritual growth plan, it's personal. How has God wired me? Collectively, he spoke through the word, but selectively, based on my own DNA, he does things at times that is personal. Another thing is this, it's habitual. It's day after day and hour after hour, and it's staying with it. It's developing spiritual disciplines, and I develop those habits that become spiritual disciplines that become my lifestyle, and so when God is calling me there, he's like, it's got to be habitual. It's got to be something you're you're totally locked in on. Here's the last one. It's relational. He never tells me to do it by myself. He never says that long-ranger Christianity works. He he doesn't say that uh, you you can just be by you, and you'll be okay. The conversation with this kid last night, he says, so do I really have to go to church to be a Christian? I said, what is your real question? Well, do do I have to really go? And I said, well, the Bible says that when we come to place our faith in Jesus, we become members of the body of Christ. I said, so if I cut my thumb off tonight and lay it over here on this table, I could say my thumb don't really need the rest of the body to function. It'll be okay, right? Right? He goes, no, it wouldn't work that way. I said, thus your question falls apart quickly. And you will hear people say that. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Really? So so you're going to be an isolated member that creates a silo that can function independent of the lordship, leadership, and authority of Christ and with no partnership and fellowship going on in your life. You can't do it. We value fellowship. We value partnership. We're one member of the body of Christ. That's all that we are. So ask yourself the question, why should I desire a spiritual growth plan? And then follow that question up with, what would I be able to really do if I was spiritually strong? How could God really use me if I was spiritually strong? If if I had spiritual root system and depth, how... How would God want to work in my life? Which means you've got to ask the question, uh, what is hindering me right now from growing spiritually? What, What kind of obstacles and things are in my life that occupy time and affection and attention that I'm empowering that hinders me in my spiritual growth with God? Which to me, you've got to ask the question, uh, why did you ask Christ to save you? In the Bible belt, the bondage belt of the South, some people say, well, you, I, I asked Christ to save me so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. I don't know where you find that in the Bible. So, so Jesus came just to be a get out of hell card. No, 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 he didn't. Some people would say, well, it appeases my conscience and I don't feel as guilty. Why did you really even ask Christ to save you in the first place? Rick and I were talking about this, and I said, Rick, it was all relationship. 
I, I want to know God because I want to have a relationship with God. I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted to know about the character of God and the glory of God. I, I didn't pray a prayer, culturally speaking, so that I could dodge hell. That, I don't even see Jesus saying, just pray this and you won't go to hell. The mission statement of hell is kill, steal, and destroy anyway. So if you just pray a prayer thinking you're dodging it, he's still going to be killing you and stealing and destroying you every day. The, the mission statement of heaven is, I give life abundantly. If you're missing out on abundant life, you're still living under the mission statement of hell, and I'm not really sure you've been converted. You hear me? So, so he invites us into a relationship through salvation. Don't, don't miss this. Then he invites us into a deeper friendship with him through what we call living the sanctified life, progressive sanctification. So he invites me to say, come into this relationship. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one connects with the Father except through me. So I enter this relationship. Then I start hanging out with him, and he goes, I want you to know you. I want you to know me on friendship level. Greater love has no one than this, and he will lay down his life for his friends. You're my friend. I want to develop a friendship with you. So once we start to develop the friendship with Jesus, we start to live this sanctified life. We're doing life every day. Jesus is my best friend. He ain't my homeboy. He's not a cosmic Santa or a cosmic sheriff. He's my best friend. And as I start to walk in this friendship, he goes, now come, come. I want to take you to deeper fellowship with me. And as I enter into deeper fellowship with God, he calls me to surrender a lot of those other areas saying, now let me have that. Let, 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 me, let me have that area right there. And as I start to move from relationship to this fellowship because of this deep friendship, he goes, now, now, now I want to have partnership with you, which means I want to use you as a donkey giving divinity a ride to carry me to other people. Now, because you know me, not just in relationship, but friendship now in deeper fellowship, I want to use you in partnership to show who I am to the world. You're not going to be able to be used by God in this partnership way if you never enter into friendship and have deeper fellowship with him. So God is calling us to commit. And the word commit means to give my trust to. It means to yield my life to the power and authority of another. So when I say that Jesus Christ is my Lord, the word Lord means master authority and control of so when I say I commit to Christ, what I'm saying is I'm yielding. He is now my authority, my master, my ruler. I'm yielding my trust to him. So he calls us to commit. Conversion must lead to commitment. Where there's no commitment, there's no equipment. You've got to be committed if God's ever going to equip you. Acts chapter 2 they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and selling their possessions. And they were sharing with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals with 
with gladness and sincerity of heart together. And they were praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Conversion has happened. And now the early church is birthed. Peter didn't go to seminary. He just hung out with Jesus. The early church is birthed because of the power and the awakening of the Holy Spirit has fallen. Not because they had 14 different degrees from three different seminaries. And I'm not anti-study, but I am totally pro the Holy Spirit being able to move and have freedom. So the church is on. And so they get together, and what did they do? Well, I want to break this down because I believe these are characteristics or manifestations of what is involved in a spiritual growth plan. First thing you see was they were living in the Word. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles, these disciples now that have this apostolic, uh, apostolic call to be sent out, they had hung out with Jesus. They knew the sayings of Jesus. And now they're hanging out with the people, teaching them what Jesus said. They, they don't have a 66 books canonized that they can carry around. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hadn't been written yet. Paul hadn't even been converted yet. They've got the power of the Holy Spirit and the teachings of Jesus based on their hang time with Jesus. They're 22, 23-year-old dudes out here proclaiming this, and it says the people started hanging out listening to the apostles' teaching. The Word of God is the most reliable source that we have in existence to get to know the heart of God to get to know the character of God, to establish who we are in our identity with God. You neglect the word of God, you neglect getting to know God at a deeper level. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of God remains forever. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. Blessed is the man who meditates day and night, In the word of God, he's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. His leaf never withers, fruits always in season. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Why? Because he has committed to living in the word. There's no shortcuts. If I commit to Christ, don't miss this. Listen to me. If you're not in the word consistently, meditating, studying, pondering, memorizing. What are you saying about your commitment? I understand that there are small people groups around the globe that are illiterate. But here in our country, we're blessed beyond measure. We're not illiterate. Most of us are illiterate. But we treat the Bible like it's cake for special occasions and not like bread for daily use. And Hendricks said years ago, Professor Howard Hendricks, most Christians are like bad film. They're overexposed, but they're underdeveloped. I want to encourage you that the early church was launched through the awakening of the gospel being filled with the Holy Spirit, but they were committed to the Word of God. 
There's no shortcuts. So inside your bulletin, you'll see the little circle thing, and I've got some different areas. So as you look at this, this whole thing about being conformed, symorphous. If you looked at your life saying, all right, I have been converted. But when it comes to my identity being rooted and established in Christ, when it comes to Christ really conforming me to who he wants me to be, where are you at on a scale of zero to five? Maybe you would be honest and say, on a scale of zero to five, I'm very infant. I haven't studied the character of God, being conformed to God. I'm not finding my identity in Christ. And if you had to get gut level honest and shade it in, you would say, this is where I'm at. I, I, I don't know much. Maybe you've been in the church three weeks or 30 years. There's people that have been in the church for 30 years that have never decided to commit and become a disciple of Jesus. You're going through the motions. It's, it's fatiguing. But what would you want that to look like? You like if you could take a yellow highlight or something and shade it in to say, here's where I'm at, but here's where I want to go. What would that look like? What obstacles would you have to eliminate? What things are hindering you right now that you know need to be flushed down the drain? What is God calling you to do that would awaken that? I want to be conformed. I want to eliminate everything. Now, as we talked the other day, Paul, what does that look like with living in the Word? How often are you in the, in the Word of God? How much time are you spending meditating in the Word of God? A lot of people go to the Word like it's medication not with meditation. You only run to the word when something's jacked up and you're trying to find a scripture to get you through a moment. That, stop, stop medicating and start meditating. So where are you at with the word? Are you memorizing it? There's 52 weeks in a year. You can memorize a verse a week. If you memorize a verse a week, guess where you would be at the end of the year? You'd have 52. At the end of two years, you would have at least 104. And, and, and you wouldn't even probably want to stop with a verse a week. You would want to memorize the paragraph. And before you know it, you're starting to saturate your mind with the word of God. And, and it would change who you are. So part of having a spiritual growth plan is not neglecting time with Jesus in the word. Make sense? Come on, guys. Where are you at? What do you value? What are you committed to? Then he says this, they were fellowshipping with other believers. They were fellowshipping with other believers. They were continually devoting themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. The early church realized that the best way to experience spiritual growth was in the context of community. I can't do this by myself. I can't be a long ranger. I, I can't disconnect. And it says continually they were devoting themselves. Devote means to have a, a steadfast single-mindedness to a course of action. What are y'all doing? We're devoting ourselves to the word. We got, we got to get word in us. But we're devoting ourselves to fellowship and partnership with others. We, we, we need koinonia. We need to share the things of God with others so that we can continue to grow. And, and so reality is, none of us have all the spiritual gifts in this room. None of us have all the abilities needed. But when we get together and we resource together, it's amazing the variety of gifts that you can see operating under the lordship of Jesus. 
I, I was talking to my buddy Butch, and they're getting ready to do this uh, Anvil boot camp retreat, kind of a John Eldridge thing. They're going back again for the second time. And we were talking about we, 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 we got to get more guys involved. And I was telling him, I said, you've got to have a recruiter. My, my buddy Richard, who's doing counseling here, phenomenal guy, but he's a processor kind of thinker. When you hang with him, he'll read, he'll study, he'll research. Phenomenal at processing. Y'all live with him every day. You know it. Butch, I said, Butch, you're a stabilizer. You walk into the room and you just kind of can stabilize people and people that are out of whack or whatever. I don't care if they're on weed or, or drinking or what, whatever. You stabilize them, dude. I said, but why y'all had so many people sign up for that last one is because Neil recruited a lot of them. Neil is a connector. Neil is an initiator. Neil can go out. So you've got to have a dude with that gift mix. Do we need Richard? Oh, we got to have Richard. Do we need Butch? Oh, we got to have Butch. But we also got to have Neil's. And so Neil's gift mix is different than the rest, but none are better than the next. They're all members of the body that work together. Come on, somebody. When you bring your gifts to the table and we all work together, we can have major kingdom impact in Loganville. And that's what God is calling us to do in fellowship. Bring all of you. God's wired you uniquely. And so we're going to talk about this in more detail next week about being connected and the importance of being in a small group because life is done in a circle, not a road. You've got to sit there and get to know people. All you're doing right now is looking at the back of somebody's head. There ain't no heart movement going on there. So, so, so that's big right there. Fellowship with other believers. If you had to color that one in. Where am I at with really hanging out with other like-minded believers? Now, I'm not saying that's the only place you hang, but you do have that community that helps you grow. Now, here, here would be another one. Outreach and ministry to other people. The, the scripture says that continuing daily with one accord in the temple, they ate their food, love these words, with gladness and simplicity of heart. Let me stop there for a second. One, one of the greatest testimonies you can have with the world is having a glad heart. There's too many Christians that walk out into the world looking like you've been sucking lemons for a month and, and the joy of the Lord is as distant from you as I am from Beijing right now. They were, they, they were, they were, they were celebrating God with gladness. It's like, well, what's up with them? They got joy, simplicity of heart, which means they had eliminated this complicated lifestyle and it goes on to say they were praising God, they were enjoying God they didn't have all these competing influences, and they were having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Daily. Those who were being saved. And I told Jesse last night, we sat there, and he was hanging out with one of his buddies, and his buddy prayed to surrender to Christ last night. And I said, here's the deal. He wanted you to baptize him last night. But Cruz, he modeled Christ on the ball field sitting on the bench. And you're like, whatever's going on inside that guy, I want it. Same thing with this other kid, Ryan. Same thing with others. And I said, God's given you the gift of evangelism. And, and your heart for those who are kind of wayward is phenomenal, but they trust you. You don't condemn them. You don't act like you're better than they are. 
And I said, the Lord was adding to their fellowship daily because you had people out there living out their faith with outsiders. Fellowship is important. A little inside koinonia. But the church must leave the building. We are salt and light in the world. How will lost people ever get found? These people didn't have any classes in EE, evangelism explosion. They had not gone through a BWR class on building witnessing relationships. They didn't have the four spiritual laws. They didn't have Sunday school classes where they were being trained on how to share their faith. They had an encounter with the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. They had a glad heart and a giving heart, and they went out and just let their light shine, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day. God wants to use you in your world to get intentional about sharing him. Here's some things I wrote down. Here's some things I wrote down. I want you to hear this. I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going to stay here for a second. Grab your pen. Grab, grab, grab the paper. I wrote down five things. I will share my faith with the world. Here's what I'm going to do. I will pray for the non-believers that I know right now. I, I'm going to make a list of people that are outsiders. I'm not better than they are. They just haven't gotten under the blood of Christ yet. God loves them. God made them. They're running from God. But I'm going to start praying for the non-believers, those outsiders that I know. Okay, here's, here's something else I'm going to do. I'm going to be ready to share my faith with my neighbors, my coworkers, wherever I'm at. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your lives, 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. I'm going to sanctify Christ as Lord, and I'm always going to be ready to share my faith. I'm going to do that. I, I, I'm going to spend some time sitting down, writing out my testimony, and it's going to include three things. It's going to include who I was before Christ, how I met Christ, how Christ has changed me, so that when I go talk, I'm going to talk about where I was, who I met, and how he's changed me. Y'all can do that, can't you? I mean, we're witnesses. Acts 1.8 says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It didn't say you need to pray about it. it. didn't say you needed to go to college. He said you will be my witnesses. What, what, what kind of witness am I? I mean, come on, Esposito. I mean, that's where we're at, dude. Come on. And then, and then I will be intentional. I'll be intentional with having a variety of relationships in my life. I'll have A's, people that are apathetic toward God, B's, people that are becoming interested. I'll have C's, they confess Christ, but they're sucking milk. I'll have some D's, they're developing as disciples. I'll have E's, that's where I'm at in my journey. I'll look going, all right, do you have some A's you're hanging around? Yeah, they're apathetic, but I'm building rapport. B's, they're becoming interested. It's kind of fun to dialogue with them. C's, oh man, they've, they've been converted now. We're starting to coach them toward commitment. Oh, this one right here is becoming a D. He's developing as a disciple. He's starting to walk with Jesus every day. And then you got some E's and you check on your E's and it's like, how'd that trip go to Mexico? Hey, dude, here's what's up. And we work together. E's kind of encourage each other of what's going on, checking on each other. Can you do that? 
Can, can you do that? Uh, maintain relationships with non-believers. Uh, commit yourself that you will be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission, going into all the world, making disciples. I ask the Lord to show you any blind spots in your life so that you can stay clean. It's not it. Listen, listen. Being a witness for Christ is not optional. Being a witness for Christ is part of the obligation that he's called us to in the world. You are salt and light. He didn't say, why don't you pray about me using you as salt? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are my ministers of reconciliation to Loganville and beyond. You are. You are. And part of a spiritual growth plan is I'm being conformed to the likeness of Christ. I'm diving into the word. I'm devouring truth. I'm fellowshipping with others. But I'm a donkey giving divinity a ride that Yeshua gets to ride on daily wherever I go. And then they talk about having an intimate prayer life. It says they were devoting themselves to prayer, 42. They were devoting themselves to praising God. And people go, I don't even know how to pray. It's soul talk with you and God. If you know how to talk, you know how to pray. And if you know how to worry, you really know how to pray. Because worry oftentimes is nothing more than prayers going vertical. When you worry, it's internal and sharing it on the horizontal. But prayer is communication and contemplation with God. It's soul talk. It's talking and listening. I mean, it really, really is. You can do it wherever you're at. You, you can. You can just talk to him. It's confession. It's repentance. It's petitioning for other people. It's intercession. It's giving thanks to God. Prayer is all these different things. What are you doing? Just praying. Just praising God for what he's doing. When you come up to me last Sunday, Ash, we were in this prayer time. And uh, Ash comes over and he goes, I want to pray. Like, all right, what do you want to pray about? And he's a little bit taller than I am. He grabs my shoulders and I grab him. And he goes, I just want to thank God for what he's doing in my life. And Ash just starts praising God. God, I just want to praise you. Thank you for bringing me to Georgia. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. And I'm like, man, that was refreshing. Talk to him. Intercede for others. Cry out. That's what he wants you to do. Worship. It's my response to realizing I'm in the presence of a holy God. What is worship? It's being in awe saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in the presence of God. So they were praying and they were praising and they were praying and they were praising with gladness and simplicity of heart. And people are looking going, they're either freaks or they either got freed up or something's up. What happened to them? And because they had gotten freed up, their prayers and their praises was being used by God as a compelling evidence of the hope of the gospel that other people say, I, I want that. I, I, I want that. Do you want that? You go, God can't use me. No, 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 no. 
then you've got more confidence in yourself than you do God to make a statement such as that. God can use you, but you've got to say, God, take me, mold me, shape me. God can use all of us, brother. I just want to be used by God. I want to know God. And I'm telling you right now, partnership is the result of that relationship that leads to that friendship, that leads to that deeper fellowship. And then the overflow that happens as a result of walking with a king, you go, that was really cool. That was really cool. We were talking last night and the the guy was like, how do I deal with my ego and how do I deal with this? We believe that when you come to faith in Christ, God makes all things new. I'm a new creation in Christ when I come to faith in Christ. God doesn't want to redeem me and make me a better version of lost Tim. God wants to find me and make me an alive version that I've never experienced. When I come to faith in Christ, he's not making me a better version of the pagan that I was. I get this identity and he's making me a new version of what he intends for me to be. Last thing would be this. Man, they were devoting themselves to prayer and to praise and fellowship, and they were extending the, uh, the love of Christ to outsiders, and they were in the word, and life was happening. And then it says they were living lives of generosity. That They were living gener- generous lives. It says that they sold all of their possessions, all their goods, and divided them among all as anyone might have need. They did, they did what? They sold out. They made a declaration that the earthly is not going to control me or even consume me. Reality is, if we all bought into the gospel, this is crazy for some of y'all to think about, but if we all were living in community authentically with a king and we're totally bought into the gospel, As a collective fellowship of 1,100 people, they called across their home. You wouldn't have insurance because we take care of everybody. You you wouldn't have no death insurance because we would take care of everybody. But the reason we have all these plans is because the plan of God has been neglected. You say, we've got to sell everything? Figure it out. But don't let anything occupy control over your life that would disturb your intimate communion with Christ. The one thing we take away is they sold it all. We're in it together. We're in it together. I do believe that. I believe we could eliminate insurance amongst the the body and eliminate a lot of cost if we said, we got you covered. We're in this thing together. All of us are living glad, simple lives that we're not complicating it with all this junk we would really declare that commitment to Christ and his kingship and lordship, that's where we're at. You you can enjoy earthly stuff. Don't get attached to it. Because here's what we know. Everything we have, everything we get, everything we receive, and everything we give belongs to the Lord. We're born into the world. Look at these youngins running around. Mine. If we really got it, And if we're moving into it, we would go, his. His. The earth earth of the Lord is his. 
time, talents, treasures, breath, his. They ripped me off. Uh, he ripped God off because it was God's. Living generous lives. So everything belongs to the Lord. And God is calling us to live a life of generosity. You, you, you with it? Three things I wrote down. Serve others expecting nothing in return. When you do that, you won't be disappointed because usually you'll get nothing in return. Right, Jim? I mean, reality is, well, I served expecting nothing in return. Then don't gripe about it when you got nothing in return. Just serve. Give your life away. Paul said to me and pour it out as a drink offering. I'm just giving it away. Are you expecting anything in return? Expectation is premeditated resentment of the heart. As soon as you have an expectation, you've already premeditated that you're going to resent what's going on anyway. Release it to the Lord. Give sacrificially. Many of our people have jumped in to say, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go beyond the tithe. Good. I mean, when we started our next chapter of saying we're going to really reach Loganville and beyond, building sports field, kids' buildings, expanding more with what we're doing missionally and giving toward missions. The Lord said, increase your giving 80% over the next two years. <clears throat> so what? I said, Barb, what number is good? And this is what we've done for years. Mike, this is what we've done. God's calling us to do something. I want you to pray and see what number he gives you. I'm going to write down what he gives me. I want you to hear from the Lord. And I'm telling you, it's always usually within a, a few dollars when Barb goes, I feel like God's saying give that, that lady 300 to get her a washing machine. Well, that's the number he gave me too. So when you start praying and asking God because you're living a generous life, tithing is what we're required to do under the law. Grace inspires us to go way beyond that. So give faithfully to the Lord. Be a part of advancing kingdom work. Third thing would be this. Expect God to use you every day. <laughs> Expect God to use you no matter where you're at, no matter who you're with, no matter what's going on. Really anticipate that the overflow of the power of the Holy Spirit is going to use you. Not, not, not now, to me, having a spiritual growth plan is not optional. We want to help you in the, the Word of God. We've got a foundations class getting ready to start. I've written stuff on essentials to the faith. Since you guys have studied this morning, Jesse, on that, on laying out, welcome to the family, certain things. What is salvation, assurance, lordship, scripture, prayer? What, what, what does all that look like? I got, I got studies on that. I got a study on trusting God. 20 studies I put together on what does it mean to trust God? And you go, I, I need help. We'll send you all this stuff. You ask not, you have not. All you got to do is ask and go, we want to help you grow. There's small groups to get connected in. There's people that want to walk with you. Make your life count. Be committed. Trust the power and the authority of Jesus Christ to be able to lead you every day. Come on. Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at the Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information. Uh, we'll answer many of your questions. Contact us via email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us at 770-554-3322. God bless you. Make it a great day.